0: Let's get it! Broadcasting from the great state of Oklahoma, this is Raw Tools. Thank you so much for being part of our day and letting me be a part of your day, wherever you may be. You know, the main piece of feedback I've gotten the first two weeks of this show is, go longer, give more takes, go more in-depth. And unfortunately, this show is going to be a little bit truncated. We had a guest pull out last minute. But I did add a couple of segments in here, and I will offer some more thoughts. I'll elongate and kind of spread out some of my thoughts. Not a whole lot going on in my life. Uh, saw Dune in theaters, saw The Last Duel. See both of those on the biggest screen possible. We've got Utah State football commit Jordan Drew on the show to talk about his college decision. I want to start today by giving a slap on the wrist to the SEC. Athletic directors, administrators, university presidents, the commissioner, who we will not name, because for the second time in 10 years, they've added a school from the state of Texas, and they picked the wrong university. The better fit, even though it's counterintuitive, is Baylor. I don't pay much attention to Baylor University. I've been to the campus once in Waco, and I had mixed feelings about it. I didn't get a good feel for student life. I thought security was a little bit unchristian-like, let's say that. But I think if the SEC drafted from scratch today, picked 14 schools, given geography, given historical context, and they wanted to include a private university, Baylor would be the one they chose. This is a school who's rebuilt its football program successfully three times in the past 10 years. Say what you want about Art Briles' reprehensible, the scandal that happened underneath his tutelage was unforgivable, two conference titles. That's unheard of in Waco. Matt Rule comes in, has to clean up the mess that Bryles left, strips it down to the studs. Really bad 1-11 year morale at an all-time low. In two years, they're in the top 10 competing for a Big 12 title against OU. Could have won it. One overtime away. And now you have Dave Aranda. COVID season, 2-7, and seven, not inspiring. Now they're in the top 15 with a win over Texas. Could go higher. And this is not a knee-jerk reaction to their win over the Longhorns. Anyone with any critical thinking skills could have told you that Baylor should have been favored in that game, given the way those two teams were trending. I've been to McLean Stadium at its highest attended game. It was that 50,000-person crowd, 2019, the game against Oklahoma. They were up 28-3, and the Sooners came back and won. And I've seen McLean Stadium at its absolute most electric, and it's weird because on the field, you've got a little bit of distance between you and the crowd, the fans in the first row. You know it's loud, but the sound kind of filters down in a weird way. It's an open air stadium and it's, it's got a unique vibe to it. But I've seen it at its absolute best and I think they could hang. I really do. And speaking of McLean Stadium, it is brand spanking new. It's right on the river. It is an absolute beautiful stadium to look at. It's electric. You want to bring back sail gating to the SEC or add a school that can give you sail gating? I know that there are other factors in play when it comes to which institution do we add to an elite athletic conference. You got to figure the size of the university, TV revenue streams, the profile, the student body, the Olympic sports, academics, everything. And UT Austin was a home run choice, an obvious choice. But from a strictly competitive athletic standpoint, I think Baylor was the better choice both times, over Texas and over a and a and maybe retroactively, but I'm going to throw some numbers at you and you tell me what you think. Last 10 years, up to this day, November 2nd, 2021, football program wins. Texas 77, AM 90, Baylor 85. Since 1996, the kickoff of the Big 12 Conference, conference titles Texas 3, Baylor 2, AM 1. Men's basketball national championships Baylor 1, Texas 0, AM 0. Women's basketball titles, all of these happening since 1985. National championships, Baylor 3, Texas one AM 1. I know people look at UT Austin as this flagship university, big titan. We'll bring in a lot of money to whichever conference it planned on joining. It joins the SEC. When we talk about tradition and writing history, the winners write history and Baylor's winning. They've been riding the most out of these Texas universities. Let's look at private universities in the southern part of the United States. The FBS schools that compete at that level. I think there's about eight or nine. I might be missing one, but let's take a look here. Vanderbilt, Tulsa, Miami, Rice, SMU, Tulane, TCU, Wake Forest, and Baylor. If you had to pick one of those schools to join your conference... Which one makes the most sense? I think it's Baylor. Waco's a decent market, decent college town. And by the way, you might be saying, yeah, they couldn't hang in the SEC. And you might be right. It'll take a learning curve for any new member to recruit and develop at that level, even Oklahoma, even Texas. And some of the schools that have already joined, Missouri and a they have had trouble adapting. I'll throw one more thing at you. Baylor 2022 recruiting class for football, 33rd in the country. Not great, it's okay. But better than all those private schools I just listed. Better than Miami. Better than TCU. Better than Vanderbilt. I think if you threw this idea by most SEC fans, fans that cheer for an SEC school, they would say that Baylor is probably the rational option. Just saying. And I don't know if the university necessarily wants that. They might be comfortable in the Big 12, but I think they would hold their own. And again, I do not care at all about Baylor. I had a couple of friends go there. One could not stand it, was not into going to chapel every day, eventually transferred to Oklahoma State, and everything was right in the world with them. But they're turning heads. I want to talk about the Chicago Blackhawks scandal and how it's been mishandled. Uh, I'm going to approach this from a different angle because I know if you want to read up the details and the fallout from this case, um, you can find that everywhere. And there has been some great reporting done in Canada, by ESPN, by local outlets. So I'm not going to give the triggering details i was thinking of another word to say i really can't i don't want to say anything controversial or bring up bad memories or hurt anyone's feelings that's not what this show is about i'm not going to do anything like that but i'm going to approach this by discussing how the media covers this story and how it should moving forward But first, we do have to get some facts out of the way. Just some context. If you haven't been following this story, I'm going to keep it as bare bones and brass tacks as possible. The Blackhawks got sued in May. Uh, A former player in legalese anonymously, John Doe, says he was sexually harassed and abused by their then video coach, Brad Aldrich. Team puts out a statement that summer saying the allegations lack merit. And, quote, we are confident the team will be absolved of any wrongdoing. Joel Quenville was the head coach of the team back then, won three Stanley Cups with the Blackhawks. He says this is the first he's ever hearing of this alleged abuse. Quenville, now with the Florida Panthers, entered his third season coaching them. Uh, Independent law firm Jenner and Block finds that in May 2010, the same season that this alleged assault happened, Blackhawks' leadership discussed the matter, and it included then-President John McDonough, GM Stan Bowman, and Quenville. The report said Quenville was attributed saying that the team needed to focus on hockey. In June, after the Blackhawks won the Stanley Cup, the team told Aldrich that he could either resign or face an investigation. Which route do you think he took? No investigation took place. They parted ways. So this past week, John Doe is revealed to be Kyle Beach, a former practice player with the Blackhawks. He was a first-round draft pick, never played any games with the big league club. He's now playing in a league over in Germany. And he reveals his identity and comes forward with these allegations and shares his experience on Canadian Sports Center on TSN and the interview is really tough to watch. I had to turn it off about 6 7 minutes in uh, because of how emotional beach was and how brutal this described experience was. And I was paying attention to the reporter Rick Westhead who's asking questions and they're they're leading questions. Uh, this isn't an exposé on Beach's sex life it wasn't digging for gold as they say he wasn't trying to pull out salacious details he wasn't trying to exploit Beach and in this situation I think that's absolutely the right thing to do Um, the questions were very much how do you remember feeling how did your family react Uh, and I'm sure some of these questions may have been agreed upon between Beach and the reporter or any lawyers involved just to paint the narrative of what Beach says he went through. And I think that was the right call. It must be very difficult to conduct that interview, to not get emotional during that interview, to try to put yourself in someone else's shoes during that interview. So I thought it was well done between the reporter and Kyle Beach. And seemingly there was no incentive for Kyle Beach To come forward like this. Because after this, this is what he's known for. I'm sure either family or legal counsel said, when considering coming forward and revealing your identity to the public and making these allegations, this is what you're known for now. This is your reputation. But he did the right thing coming forward with those allegations. If not to help him, to help the others who may have been hurt and to prevent it from happening in the year 2021 and beyond. Coming forward with that message was critical. And so I listened to this interview, and then I think, you know, these are leading questions. They're good questions. They get beach thinking. They paint a narrative of what happened. And I'm thinking, this is 10 or 15 more questions than Joel Quenville will ever have to answer about this. Quenville resigned, or was forced to resign, from the Panthers this past week for not taking ownership of this situation 11 years ago. In particular, the statements that he made this summer, and what was revealed in the Jenner and Block report, were contradictory. I can't say 100% certain that he lied, but it appears that way. Quenville is going to be out of the NHL and out of hockey for a long time. He may not come back And this is a stain on his legacy. As of this recording, he's the second most winning coach in the NHL. He coached one game for the Panthers after Kyle Beach came forward. Didn't take any questions after that. And his GM in Florida didn't answer any questions about it either. Quenville's going to be out of hockey for at least, I'd say, two years. And he won't have to take any questions about this from the media or anyone who's not an NHL lawyer for however long he wants. In these situations, the media can have a very short-term memory. I think about this in terms of current scandals and ones that have happened in the past. Um, Art Briles and Baylor, Hugh Freeze, uh, the NWSL right now, John Gruden, the Washington football team, Rick Pitino, the Astros cheating scandal. Oftentimes, these people were not pressed hard enough or long enough to get The definitive, honest answers. And this is an issue in sports in general. Uh, Quenville's got the backing of a PR team in Florida and in Chicago. The right thing to do was Wednesday night or whenever Kyle Beach came forward was to have Quenville at the podium for 20 minutes and say, hey, here's why my statements contradicted each other. You get the answers you want. I know that seems like a PR suicide, but it would have added closure to this story. The media should press the Panthers brass as to why Quenville was allowed to coach another game and continue to press Commissioner Gary Bettman as well, but I don't see it happening. Miami's not that much of a strong NHL market. The arena is not even in the city proper. It's way up in sunrise. There are so many loose ends that won't get tied up in this story. But at least people should be allowed to question and question for however long it takes why does Quenville have contradictory statements about the situation and why was he allowed to coach and this is tough to talk about because for all we know it's happened more than once I don't like how this has been handled One of the things I like to do week in and week out is power rank the teams in the NFL and in college football. I've done it on my TikTok, as you can see some past week examples. I sprained my wrist pretty badly a few weeks ago, so I stopped doing it because I didn't want to touch my phone and hold my phone that way. Uh, But week in and week out, uh, we like to see where the teams stack up, how they've changed as the season progresses, which teams have been exposed, and really kind of challenge the standings and try to paint a clear picture of who the 10 best teams in football are so this might become a regular segment here we're going to start with our top 10 NFL teams as of today Tuesday November 2nd the Ravens Uh, the bye week put them in first place in their division and they were exposed briefly in that blowout loss to Cincinnati I think it's a fluke Lamar Jackson as a quarterback is going to keep you in contention. can do everything with his feet Throws a really pretty ball. The next three weeks for Baltimore look very easy between Minnesota, Miami, and Chicago. Should be perfect to get them back on track. Nine. The Bengals. They are one Mike White out-of-body experience away from being 6-2. Some questionable calls late in that game as well for unnecessary roughness. The Bengals have a great quarterback. We're starting to see if Zach Taylor really is the coach of the future. Jamar Chase, just an outstanding talent at wide receiver, should be rookie of the year. The Saints, Uh, for all the talk I did on the Jones Report this past week about inconsistency at quarterback and a one-dimensional type of game, they really proved me wrong in this win over Tampa Bay. Uh, They lost Winston, unfortunately, to an ACL injury. But, then that's one of the most beautiful things about football. Trevor Simeon comes in as a backup, probably the third stringer to start this year behind Taysom Hill and Winston, and he outduels Tom Brady in a half of football. That's just crazy. Seven. But counting the body of work, I'd have to put Tampa Bay ahead of the sink. Can't count them out this deep in the season. They've got a deep roster They're the reigning Super Bowl champions and really won't give up their division crown. Six. Arizona. They could have won against Green Bay, and I probably would have had them number one. It was a last-second pick, as you recall. Uh, They're the best story in football, and this may be some recency bias about the way that they lost. I think they can redeem their spot in a couple of weeks and assert themselves as the best team in the NFC. Five. I've got the Titans at five. I would have them higher, but it seems like they're losing Derrick Henry for the season at running back. He was an invaluable asset. Henry's got a broken bone in his foot, and now they signed Adrian Peterson to their practice squad. Seems like grasping at straws, but we'll see if AD has anything left in the tank. Four. The Rams, everything is trending in the right direction. I know they lost to Arizona, but they've rattled off four wins in a row and they just got Von Miller to add to their pass rush. You can imagine Von Miller and Aaron Donald being on the same field at the same time. The Rams could far and away take the NFC. Three. Dallas, great teams find a way to win and you've gotta give credit to Kellen Moore in this offense. Even with Cooper Rush at quarterback, the game never really seemed in doubt for the Cowboys. Some great weapons between Stevie Lamb and Amari Cooper, Ezekiel Elliott, and Tony Pollard in the backfield. This is just a great team all around. I'm really impressed with defensive coordinator Dan Quinn. Micah Parsons, probably the best athlete out there among defensive rookies. This is a great team and this is the best roster that Dallas has had in years. Two. I think Buffalo is the best team overall in football. Uh, The pass rush and the run game needs some work, but they outplayed Pittsburgh in their loss to the Steelers. They outplayed the Titans, if not for a Josh Allen stumble near the one-yard line. They probably win that game. I think Buffalo is the best bet by far out of the AFC, though they will face some challenges. There are so many AFC teams that I didn't put on this list between the Raiders, Kansas City, now the Patriots creeping in. Uh, This is going to be an interesting conference to see how playoff seeds all play out but if I had to bet today I'd put Buffalo in the Super Bowl Green Bay they have my eternal respect they had that really awful loss to New Orleans in week one and they've rattled off seven wins in a row ever since they're the hottest team in football and they control their own destiny at this point they're in a weak division Aaron Rodgers continues to do great things although he endorsed Bitcoin he is now receiving some of his salary in Bitcoin not that that's an issue, but Green Bay proving proven the haters wrong. They're my number one team this week, and we'll see what happens next week. We are recording this in historic downtown Tulsa at the Hampton by Hilton, where Booker T. Washington, class of 22 athlete Jordan J.D. Drew, has announced his commitment to Utah State University for the next three to four years. Jordan, why the Aggies? Man,
1: I just felt like it's just been home. I got a cousin, that, Kyle Mayberry, that attends Utah State right now. He said nothing but great things about it. And then also the coach that recruited me and offered me, Coach Brown, he's also a, another Oklahoma guy. And I don't know if you know, but uh, Darren Thompson, he also went to school there and went to the league from there. But I just feel like with Coach Blake's, Blake Anderson coming in, changing the program around, I just feel like it would be a good fit for me and just feel like home. That's what, that's what they've been saying over the phone, just gonna feel like home. So I just took their word and ran with it
0: darwin thompson was a great athlete great running back there played with the kansas city chiefs won a super bowl what about the utah state program up there in logan makes you believe you can make that jump as well
1: um just i just feel like the my size my speed just my athleticism just me just being tall and covering the best player and the best players in the country i just feel like i just make a difference up there we can make a turnaround up there so Right now they're five and two. Hopefully they get the win tonight, get a ball game, get a ball game this year. So I just feel like I can turn that around. We can hopefully get in the top 25 when I get there, just make a difference
0: as we 're recording this they 're bringing a beat down on Hawaii right now, I think it's seventeen to three in the second quarter as we 're recording this. I was looking once you put on that hat I took a took a look and you had several Division one offers in hand you you picked Utah State over Army over Houston Baptist over Missouri State and Division two u c o What pitch did Coach Blake Anderson give you that, that made them a clear cut above the rest?
1: Uh, just basically when he t- started talking to my mom just about like first, my mom started talking about uh she really was worried about the uh, education there at first. So I just felt like what he what he was saying, like the grade average is like a A if all the athletes was graduating. So I just felt like, just I just took his word and ran with it. Just I just trusted him. Mm-hmm. None, he'd stand it out from, different from all the coaches, the words that he was saying. So I just, I believe, believe that. I just believe him, yes sir.
0: In recruiting, there are deciding factors that, that, that give some programs advantages over others. Uh, what stuck out to you? What factors stuck out to you that, that put them, the Aggies, above the rest?
1: Uh, just calling on me, checking on me every single day, just showing them the love. Ask me how am I doing in school, just call me during school. <laughs> That's what I love about it. Uh, just Other coaches, they'll text me one time, how am I doing, and then don't text back and they just talk to me like once or twice a month, but Utah State—they talk to me every single day. Coach Edmonds, the system uh, linebackers coach up there, uh, Coach Brown, and Coach Blake Anderson talked to me almost every single day, Facetime me, talking about well, can we get, how can we get you down here? Just showing them number the love. That's that's what I liked about that university. They treated me like home down there.
0: For the folks listening across the country who don't know Jordan Drew, haven't watched you play or seen you on tape, what would you say your three greatest strengths are? Uh, Physical, fast, and just I can just play. I'm
1: I'm an athlete. That's that's it. I'm an athlete. Just come and watch. That's it.
0: You've been listed as an athlete in, in the recruiting rankings and listings. Which would you say you play better, receiver or defensive back? Uh...
1: That was a hard one for the last couple years, but I, I believe it'll be DB. Just me being tall, guarding guarding some fast players, and me being also fast, so keeping up with those fast
0: players. Just being physical. That's about it. You have, you had about fifteen to twenty teammates. Watching your commitment today here at the Hampton by Hilton. Gentry Williams, among them, a four star defensive back, just committed to Oklahoma. How much inspiration do you draw from him and the rest of your teammates?
1: Man, Gentry just pushing me every day. Just, I don't, man, just making me a better player. Just on and off the field, giving me the class, (laughs) not messing around in hallways. Just, yeah, Gentry put a big impact into my life, just making me a better player
0: thinking about the keys to your success as a player when are you at your best
1: probably just when this was it's a great day uh, probably just me just being happy and just being energetic on on the field it starts by in the morning so if the way if I wake up happy that just how that mood is gonna be all through school through the field to the end to the next day uh, that's probably about it what's been the best
0: part about today
1: uh, Really? I was saying my grandma was showing up, that's why I didn't think she was going to show up, she surprised me, but me and me also committed today, so that would probably be the biggest.
0: Your grandmother, what's her name? Uh, Beverly
1: Drew, that's her name, Beverly. We're very close, she raised me basically, so she raised me.
0: That's wonderful, so so what did that mean to you to, to see her here today and to share this moment with her?
1: That's what made me emotional, that's what I had, like when I was giving my speech. And I just looked over and I seen her, and that's what made me pause because I was started getting emotional.
0: That was a great speech. Tears were welling in your eyes, and and you took this to historic downtown Tulsa, kind of the heart of downtown, right next to the BOK, the Hampton by Hilton. Why did you choose this venue?
1: Just big space, uh, just downtown, just where like I was born. I was born in this area, downtown. So, and I want to just since I'm going to be. Since I live downtown, basically, I just want to still just keep it close to home. So just, and there makes it easy for everybody.
0: So you're spending the next three to four years in Logan, Utah. What are you looking forward to the most?
1: Just getting down there meeting these coaches that are, meeting these new players. I'm my brothers, really. Just meeting my brothers. That's what I'm going to be playing with for the next three four years. And hopefully get a chance to be playing as a freshman. So that's, that's the biggest goal
0: that I got right now. Jordan Drew commits to Utah State to play football. Tulsa Booker T. Washington High School, soon-to-be alum, taking his talents to Division I. Jordan, thank you so much for joining Raw Tools.
1: Thank you for coming.
0: For a moment there, I thought we were going to do the interview in front of a live audience there at the hotel. Some 50 people gathered to see J.D. Drew commit to Utah State. Uh, his mother, Keat, came up to me and said, hey, like we wanted the media to show up here you're here, and we thought there would be some questions asking him why he chose the school that he chose. And uh, eventually, Jordan shot that down and said, hey, we can just sit over here in the corner, which was much better. So I appreciate him for being so open and welcoming. Again, committing to Utah State to play defensive back for the next three, four years. Also, shout out to his teammate, Jaden King, who this weekend also committed to Division I Houston Baptist. Uh, Booker T. Washington just putting out tons of great defensive back talent. Uh, over a five-year stint, they will have sent eight defensive backs to play Division One football. Uh, you heard Kyle Mayberry's name mentioned earlier. He went to Kansas, transferred to Utah State this past season, Dax Hills at Michigan, DJ Jones at Oklahoma State, Kewan Parker at Arkansas, and Gentry Williams at Oklahoma. I was thinking about it this afternoon, and I really do love this place. It was a, a lazy Saturday afternoon in downtown Tulsa. Beautiful outside. And you had a community, about 50 people inside this gathering room, inside this hotel. About 20 of those teammates of J.D. Drew. Um, wishing him the best and there to support him for this really big college decision. And uh, yeah, I, we have a lot of fun on the show. Uh, we enjoy... Talking about Oklahoma and, but I mean, I'll always recommend this place to people. Uh, you should definitely, if you get a chance, visit Tulsa, Oklahoma. the The entire state as a whole is wonderful. I'm not even a big city rivalry guy between Tulsa and OKC. I think they both bring unique, positive contributions, and I'm really proud to have lived here. <sighs> yeah, it was just it really struck with me that there's a lot of unique character and love, and community that you can find just everywhere inside this city. It's a beautiful place. In terms of top 25 in college football, I'm not going to do a countdown. But I'll tell you how I would have voted in a poll this week. By the way, one of my rules, if you're a ranked team, and you lose to an unranked team, I pull you out of the rankings for the following week you can earn your spot back. Just hear me out on this. Thought experiment here. You're ranked the number five team in the country. There are 20 other teams that should beat that unranked team. So what does that say about you if you lose to lesser competition than the other 20 teams wouldn't have? And that comment has gotten me in trouble a lot There was one mild-mannered employee I worked with in Knoxville that would just ream me for this take. Oh, no. Anyway, last week. But I stand by it. I'm going to run through this really quickly. Start with 25, Mississippi State. Rocky season, hand it to them for beating the number 12 team in the nation in Kentucky. 24, Minnesota, riding a hot streak. 23, Penn State. All their losses have been understandable. Most recently, the Ohio State one. NC State, BYU at 21, I don't get why they had such a big jump after giving up 50 points to UVA, makes no sense. Uh, Fresno at 20, Louisiana Lafayette at 19, Houston at 18, they are one week one stumble away from being undefeated, and I think that's significant. They might give Cincinnati some trouble as the American conference standings hash out uh, Coastal Carolina, UTSA, undefeated, but it's one of those situations where they haven't really played anybody. So, if the standings work themselves out, some two-loss teams become three-loss teams, I could see San Antonio being up to 12-11. Uh, an undefeated season is always significant. Texas A&M. My name is passion. Going to Texas A&M, Greg Notre Dame. I was wrong about Auburn. I've got them at 12. I think they could be a little bit higher as well. I said on the Jones report, they were going to be challenged that the home crowd wouldn't have much of a factor against Ole Miss. I picked the rebels in that game and I was wrong. Jordan Hare was electric. Got to hand it to first year head coach, Brian Harson. That team was ready to play. I really like where they're going. 11 wake forest. I have the same issue with them as I do with UTSA. Um, Dave Clawson is a 500-ish head coach. This is a combination of, yes, probably the most talent that the team's had, especially at quarterback, um, but really haven't played anyone. No ranked opponents, they just beat down Duke, and the, the reason they're up this high is they're the only undefeated team left in the ACC, and they're their best chance at getting into the playoff. At 10, I put Baylor. I think this team is way better than they're ranked right now in the AP poll. I think the Texas win was just another testament to how much this team has improved from year one to year two under Dave Aranda. But by virtue of the head-to-head, I'm going to put Oklahoma State at nine. Um, Just delivered the beat down to Kansas. Did everything you could ask for that week. Really love the Cowboys in this spot. At 8, I got Michigan. No reason to hang their head against Michigan State. They were with them till the very end in that loss. Uh, Oregon at 7. Ohio State at 6. The Buckeyes lost to the Ducks earlier this season. But I think the way these teams have progressed, uh, the Buckeye defense is much improved from that game. And I think that everything is lining up for them to take the Big Ten. And by virtue of that, go to the playoff again. Cincinnati at five. Uh, They beat their one-ranked opponent this year. They beat Notre Dame. If an SEC team loses between the ones I have up here, uh, or if there are multiple loss, Big Ten teams still up here in the top ten, I'd give Cincinnati the benefit of the doubt and I'd put them in the top four. But I was so impressed with Michigan State and Kenneth Walker, the running back, that I got to put them at number four. Three, Bama, just from a talent perspective. They had the little hiccup against Texas A&M, but they're well on their way to winning the division and going head-to-head with Georgia. Uh, To Oklahoma, Uh, 9-0 is significant. I know that most of those wins have been toss-ups. They've been sketchy. They haven't really brought their best self to the field, but they stifled a lot of doubters and haters with the big win over Texas Tech this past weekend. And at 1, UGA. I got 11 NFL players on defense. It's a darn good team. The best product the Bulldogs have out there. Right now, the favorite to win the title and the only team that could stop them is Bama. Uh, Due to recent circumstances, which I can't disclose, there are going to be certain teams from now on that I am discouraged to talk about on this podcast. And one has been referenced in each of the first two episodes. So if you're... For some reason, going back and starting from scratch sometime way in the future, um, you might notice a couple of teams that I won't be talking about moving forward. Um, Just wanted to clear that up. Um, No malintent uh, on my part, uh, given what I am doing now. If that seemed vague, good. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much to Jordan Drew for coming on. Wanted to have someone on to talk about the Braves and the World Series, but... Alas, my guest pulled out last minute. You want my thoughts on it? Do you trust Dusty Baker to manage a seven-game series? I sure as heck don't. Giants, Cubs, Reds, Nationals hasn't won a ring yet. I've got the Braves. I had the Braves before the series started. Look at my Twitter. I called it. See you next week.